Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John and chapter 11. Jesus has been moving steadily toward Jerusalem for his final week on earth. And during this time, Lazarus gets sick, and so Jesus moves to within two miles of Jerusalem to do the miracle with Lazarus. Now, some Bible trivia parts about this. This is the longest story that has a miracle in it in the New Testament, in the Bible. Uh, It is 46 verses, and the miracle is only three words in half a verse. But the rest of it is all set up to tell us who the people are, to show us the compassion that God has for our situation. Prior to this point, Jesus' greatest miracle that was spreading throughout the land was healing a man born blind, and that's even covered in people saying that about Jesus, that he healed a man born blind, could he have not healed Lazarus before he died? The people have the understanding that Jesus is a healer, But having power over life and death seems to be something that is beyond their grasp before this. Lazarus is one of the main characters in this story. He has been at uh, dinners with Jesus. In chapter 12, there is a large resurrection party, if you will, that Lazarus is alive and they're having a big dinner party and Lazarus, Lazarus is the guest of honor, but Lazarus never says a word. He is silent throughout the whole New Testament, even though a very good friend of Jesus. Mary and Martha speak, but Lazarus does not. Uh, As I said, this is the longest one that is in there, and because of that, there is much to look at in the Uh, pre-part of the miracle, James Montgomery Boyce, the great uh, pastor in the East, preached 15 sermons on these 46 verses to get all the little inuit, you know, the minor parts. Uh, For our purposes, we're going to try to cover it all today because our goal is to look at the miracle and not the setup, not the context of it. The setup for this miracle, how it begins, is the first 16 verses. Jesus is away. Jesus is one day's journey. We do not know exactly where he is at this time, but he is one day's journey. We do find that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And some people have asked, how do you get those four days? Well, he's one day journey away. And somebody comes and tells Jesus that Lazarus, your friend, the one you love, is sick. 
And it takes a day for that messenger to get there. And if, if Lazarus died, we believe Lazarus died while the messenger was on his way. And so he's put very quickly in the tomb back then. And we saw this with Jesus when somebody passes away. They wrap them in strips of cloth with a larger cloth covering the head. And in the folds of the cloth, they put spices, and they're put in a tomb, which is generally a cave. This particular cave was a natural cave that uh, around Jerusalem in the Bethany area, there are many natural caves, and if a person like Lazarus was not wealthy to carve out a cave, remember Jesus was put into a carved out cave, Joseph of Arimathea very rich man commissioned people to dig a cave out of the rock. This is a natural cave, and it may have been cleaned out with a floor and all that kind of thing. But Lazarus would be put in there, and a stone would be rolled away. They would then mark on their calendar one year's time. And in one year's time, the body would have decomposed and been only bones. And so they would have rolled the stone away. They would have gone into the tomb, taken the bones, and put them in a bone box called an ashuary. And people who have dug around Jerusalem have found in people's basements 40 or 50 ashuaries from the time of Jesus just stacked up on a wall. They would just stack them, okay, warehouse the bones. And, of course, now when they look inside, the bones have even decompressed, uh, decomposed. But that is how they did it, and so there was no embalming, there was nothing to present, prevent de decomposition, and so Lazarus being in there for four days would have started the process. So the people come and they tell Jesus and the disciples, Lazarus is sick, Jesus says, okay, and he hangs out for two days, okay, after the news has come. Jesus wants Lazarus to be long dead. Okay, Jesus is setting them up for a miracle. Jesus knows what he is going to do, and he wants it to be impressive, if you will. This will become the most impressive uh, miracle topped only by the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And so the person comes and says, uh, come and go, and Jesus says, okay, well, I'm going to hang out for two more days. And then Jesus says, we're going to go to Judea, okay? The Bethany, Bethany's two miles away from Jerusalem. He's going to go from Bethany, hang out there for a while, then go to Jerusalem for his last week before the crucifixion. As he's saying he's going to go, and they say we want, they want to stone you, he says, well, isn't there 12 hours in the day? If you talk to a Jewish person back then or today, and I've talked to living Jewish people today, and I said, well, what does Jesus mean? And they said, well, in the Jewish mindset, the day is 12 hours long. The night is 12 hours long. You get a 24-hour day. In our calendar, when we live here, we know that like June 21st, longest day, it's light until 9.30 at night. But December 21st, it's really short. It gets dark at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We have a different varying of, of day 
mindset in the Western and the American view, uh, the Jews are much more, it's easier for their calculations if everything is always the same all the time. And so no matter where you are on earth, you have a 12-hour day. And Jesus is saying that because it's a fixed time to do work. And he is saying he himself has a fixed time on this earth. He isn't going to be there forever. And so Jesus Christ has 12 hours, metaphorically, to work. And then when he leaves, darkness will descend upon the world and people will stumble. And so Jesus arrives right outside of Bethany in 17... And Mary and Martha and the people talk about it and talk about what's going on. And then you come to the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Now, a lot of people look at that and go, well, what is Jesus crying about? The word for wept means a quiet sobbing. Jesus is not wailing like the people who are uh, helping Mary and Martha Mourn. There are actual professional wailers who would come to a place like this to participate in the grief. Jesus is quietly crying, and you, you ask why. The people say, well, he's crying because he really loved Lazarus. Looking at the context, most, the vast majority of commentators who say, why did Jesus cry? He is weeping over the suffering and the hold that death has on our culture. This, it has been said there are only two constants, death and taxes. Well, eventually taxes will go away, but death will still be with us. Death is the equalizer. It is the constant of where we all end up, and it is 100% because of sin, because of sin in our lives, because of sin in the world. Death is not a natural state. And so Jesus is troubled. It says troubled in his heart because of what we have done to the world, because of what we have done to God's perfect order. And it is of that that he sees death is holding on and, and the, the suffering that people have because of it. And he's weeping because of the condition. Now, is this condition eternal? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ will come again. Those who believe in him will be resurrected or raptured into glorious bodies. And death will no longer be known. Death will be an unknown in our lives. And so, Jesus is talking with the women... And Jesus says, don't worry, he's going to rise again. And they say, but he's going to rise again at the uh, end times, at the last day. Because there is a teaching in the Old Testament that when the day of the Lord comes, we now know the day of the Lord's name is Jesus. Back then they just called it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, there will be a resurrection of all the righteous people. That is an Old and Old Testament teaching and so Mary and Martha knew that they had that understanding and Jesus is trying to say now I'm going to resurrect him in 30 seconds and she's saying no 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 at the end time it's going to be okay and then Jesus says well I am the resurrection and the life now that 
structure doesn't mean that Jesus knows about resurrections, that Jesus participates in life, that Jesus is able to perform resurrections. He is, in his essence and in his core, resurrection life. Okay? How does that work? I don't know. How has God put himself together? I don't know. These sorts of things we will never know. We will stand there and marvel. We sing, I can only imagine. But we will stand there and marvel at God for all eternity because he is so incomprehensible. And phrases like, I am the resurrection, I am life, is something that is unknown to us. We can't know what that means. But it does mean that Jesus has all the resurrection power he needs, that this Lazarus situation is not going to be difficult. It's not going to be any heavy lifting. It's not going to be a problem. And so he says in verse where 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Uh, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And what he's saying is, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you die, you are guaranteed a resurrection into glory. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you are still alive today you will never die. In other words, as soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, you gain eternal life. And as I have said in many a funeral, the death for a Christian is merely a change of location. There is no change of, of, of anything else. It is just you close your eyes here, you open them, and boom, you're in the presence of Jesus. It's one of those things that we hold fast to and for the person whose funeral it is for, the person who has passed away, there is no sadness from their point of view. There is no grieving from their point of view. They're the happiest being they've ever been because they are in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus is giving a small picture of what it is to believe in Jesus Christ. And so... In 37, he goes to the tomb and he says, move the stone. And they go, yeah, in the King James it says, but he shall stinketh. And I've always thought that was kind of funny. There's an odor, okay? He's begin to decompose and Jesus says, ah, no, you know, he's like, he must be exasperated by all these people who are doubting him every time he turns around. And they do remove the stone, and then he says in a loud voice, and the loudness of the voice was a shout. He was screaming, okay? Now, people say, well, why did he do that? Well, some people say, well, Lazarus had to hear him. Well, I don't think that's it. Perhaps there was a din. Everybody's wailing and crying, and oh, oh, you know, it's a very loud play. Funerals? for the Jewish person, are loud. And so perhaps he had to be heard for their benefit over and above them. However it was, he shouted. And it shouted in uh, the ESV. It says, Lazarus, come out. Now in Greek, 
he shouted three words. He shouted, Lazarus, here, outside. And that is the structure of the Greek sentence to get Lazarus out. Now, commentators have said, if Jesus did not use the word Lazarus, that everybody in the world would have resurrected, that Jesus has enough resurrection power for that to happen. And you say, well, that's silly. But look in the book of Revelation, with a word, with a word, Jesus is going to resurrect every single believer all the way back to Adam and Eve all at once. Boop, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then there's a second resurrection with a word. All those who are raised to condemnation will be raised Boop, all at once. And so Jesus has the power. Death has nothing on Jesus. And so Lazarus comes out. And of course he's wrapped. He probably looks like the mummy, okay? And I've seen, I've seen cartoons of this and, you know, they try to make it look kind of funny. But he's wrapped up really tight. And so he's trying to walk and he can't walk and he has, you know, can't move his arms and everything. But he's shuffling out very slowly. And Jesus says the obvious thing. He says, unbind him and let him go. Everybody's probably just standing there going just staring with their mouth open, and Jesus is saying, nah, let him loose. And then there are events in chapter 12 about Jesus and Lazarus having meals together. The, uh, in 45 and 46, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, believed with a saving belief. Many people who saw the resurrection of Lazarus, we will see in heaven, 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And if you continue to read through the rest of John, the Pharisees and the chief priests' goal now is not only kill Jesus, but you got to kill Lazarus, okay? Because Lazarus is evidence of the, of the miracle, so we have to get rid of Lazarus. And so they plan on killing them both. Now, Lazarus, he was raised, and he was raised perfectly healthy and didn't have an odor and all these sorts of things. But he was raised to a physical body. And I don't know how old he is, but he probably lived to a ripe old ancient Jewish age. And he died again, okay? One of the few people in the Bible who got to die twice, okay? But he did, and then he was resurrected into the uh, presence of Jesus. There will be a time, and if we, if we look at this Lazarus story and we say, well, that's evidence that I can be resurrected, but this is not a complete resurrection. This is a resurrection to a natural body that can get diseases and will die again. When we get to the resurrection of Jesus, which is the Easter story, when we get to the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus was not resurrected to a corrupted body. He was resurrected to a glorious body, and the rest of the New Testament is saying we're not going to be like Lazarus. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to be 
raised into a glorious body. And what is the glorious body that you and I are going to have in heaven? There's going to be no pain. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no growing old. And there's going to be no death. There is no death in heaven. Nobody's going to get COVID and die of it in heaven. Okay? All of that is put away. And that's why Paul writes... O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death no longer has a hold on us if you believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead incorruptible and said, this is how you will be. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for this this truth knowing that when you come again, the dead in Christ will be raised, those who are alive will be raptured, and we will be forever in your presence. Lord, we praise you for that, and ask us to hold on to this as life gets difficult, as life gets chaotic. Help us to remember that there will be a day in which all this will go away. And we will stand holy and blameless in your presence. Lord, we praise you for that and ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask all this in the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.